Hi there, James Wedmore here. I'm host of the Mind Your Business podcast and founder of the Rapid Growth System for online experts looking to scale their business, business by design. And if you don't know me, I've actually been running an online business for the past 15 years now, and I primarily do that with digital products. And I don't think I need to tell you that digital products are hands down the most profitable and fulfilling business model that exists online. Think about it. What else allows you to take your genius, your wisdom, your expertise, and package it in a way that you build it once and continue to get it into the hands of thousands, reach people all over the world, and start getting paid to make a difference? That's what I've done, and chances are, if you're listening to this, that's what you want to be doing as well. But let's face it, it's hard. Is super overwhelming. And everyone seems to be teaching that one thing. Like you have to be doing this to be successful or this is the answer to get more customers or this is the platform or tool you need to be on in order to reach more people. But the problem is business is not whittled down to just one thing. And until you take a holistic approach to running your business, chances are you'll be missing more than one thing. And that's where I come in. This June, I am hosting the first of three live training workshops called The Rise of the Digital CEO. In this training, you're going to walk through and see behind the curtain of my eight-figure digital product-based business so you can see the exact five gears that run my entire business. Whether you're just starting out or you're struggling to sell your course or you're ready to scale it and take to the next level, you're going to see what today's most successful digital CEOs are doing differently to attract more clients and customers and sell more of their digital products. To step into the role that your business needs, head on over to businessbydesign.net forward slash rise. Welcome to episode 16 of the Ambitious Bookkeeper podcast. I'm your host, Serena Shoup, and today I am bringing in an oldie but a goodie. I did this interview with Kelly Liu, who is also a CPA, sometime last year inside the Ambitious Bookkeeper Facebook group. Uh, but it was such an inspiring interview, I decided I had to share it. <laughs> Most likely, I'll sometime soon have Kelly back on here on the podcast to talk about what she's been up to in the last year. But for now, I'm super excited about this interview because she's going to talk to us about how she built a six-figure tax practice after leaving a 10-year career in a big regional firm and then a smaller tax firm. So hopefully you will get some really good ideas, whether you're building a tax or a bookkeeping business. And if you're interested in learning more about what Kelly has going on, please head over to her website. I will drop it in the show notes or follow her on Instagram. She has a couple things going on, so those links will be in the show notes. So without further ado, here is the interview I did with Kelly. joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Kelly is a CPA, obviously, and you focus on taxes for creatives, right? Yep. Okay, mm -hmm. so you're very niched. Mm -hmm. And when we first talked, uh, you told me all about how you started your practice. And I was like, that is so inspiring because <laughs> of how quickly you grew and the type of clients you attracted and how you hit your revenue goals so quickly. So I really wanted to bring you in here to share that story uh, with the group so that hopefully you'll inspire some people to build the practice that they want, whether it's in bookkeeping or tax, because I don't do tax. So I think it's really nice to have a perspective of someone that is focusing on tax because there might be some people in here that want to do that. So tell us how you got to where you are and built your practice up. Tell us the spiel. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. I'm going to try really hard not to make this super long, but um, <laughs> I guess the highlight reel is I started in tax about 10 years ago. 
And um, I went to a large national firm here in Portland called Moss Adams. So I was there for five years, did the whole thing, got licensed, really competitive, um, you know, worked the 80, 90 hours a week. And I was just done. Um, It was kind of discouraging, too, because there really wasn't any like especially any women partners. I think we were at like 19% in the whole company and that was like groundbreaking. (laughs) And so I didn't really have anyone to like look up to, especially women of color. And so I just felt like it was time to move on. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go to a smaller firm. So I went to a smaller, more local firm. um, And I was there for three years and it was great in that I fell in love with small business. I loved working on smaller clients. I was used to working on bigger clients like Nike or something global, um, but going to small clients and and helping people that put like the blood, sweat and tears into their business, totally different. So fulfilling. I loved it, but they were all about, um, you know, high volume. And so how do you have relationships when it's high volume and we're just all overworked? And I was working the same hours all over again. It was really just the same thing um, with just, slightly different ingredients. So I started doing a lot more at that firm. And the biggest thing that was ultimately, I don't know, that made me take the leap or whatever was, I mean, it was kind of forced. So at the end of that three-year experience, I was the highest revenue earner. I had revamped the admin department. I was doing mentorships. I was doing a whole recruiting process. I was just doing so much and so much to the point where my boss was able to leave like more than half the year. (laughs) And so I just was running it and I was like, what am I doing? This is crazy. I'm just a classic overachiever, people pleaser. I think, you know, us, us accountants tend to do that. And so we just came to this point where he was like, I have nowhere for you to go. And I just don't think this is going to work. So I ended up getting fired on my one year wedding anniversary. Oh my God. I don't know if I remember you telling me this part of the story. Part, but I was just like, whatever, I'm just going to go for it. So you got fired because you were too good at your job. I, well, I mean, he was also very threatened and I really was pushing back a little bit towards the end there. Cause I was like, this doesn't make any sense. What am I doing? And so once I started saying that, I think he realized that I wasn't duped anymore. And then, yeah, so it's pretty unfortunate. But, uh, so that was November 2nd. So I just had my two year anniversary for my business. So that was November 2nd, 2018. Thank you. And I just decided at that point, I was like, you know what? I am so done working for someone else. I'll just try out my own thing for a while. Why not just try? So I had very low expectations and I was like, I'm in a niche and the niche that I want because why not? And so I just went for it completely. I totally just had to dip into savings and yeah, within my first year, let's see. So I niched into creatives within the first three weeks of starting my business. Like literally by mid-November, I had 30 clients that were ready to go, which was amazing. And then after that, um, by January 1st, I had 65 and then I stopped and I was like, okay, I'm done. Um, I just want to do a really good job, but really like my first fiscal year, I ended with 110,000. So I already hit my six figure income goal. And now I'm, you know, working on trying to double that, um, and expand. Um, so it's just been a wild ride and all of it just came from just, kind of like this dead end where I was like, I really don't have anywhere to go. And then um, creating this whole new world for myself. And it was just, it was amazing. And it all just came from, you know, trusting myself and and finally listening to that intuition. So yeah, it's kind of crazy story. From trusting yourself and following your intuition. I think that's a big thing for all of us. And it's yeah. hard as accountants to do that. Totally. It's so logical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I, um, I think so, that if it was just a natural, like I was at the nine to five, I was pretty happy, um, which I just wasn't obviously. And then it was ultimately a decision in the end. But I mean, I think that um, I, I say this all the time. I don't think that if I would have planned it, it would have gone the same way. Like if I was like, oh, I'll just wait for the nest egg. And I, you know, like all these things that you think that you need in advance, I didn't have anything. I had nothing. <laughs> I had you my husband buy in. Yeah, my husband was really excited. So that was that's a big step. I know getting spouse yeah. support's a big deal. Um, but my cute. husband, yeah, my husband was way more excited than I was <laughs> about doing it. <laughs> that you needed that encouragement, obviously, yeah. to to be able to go for it. Because if you didn't have that, then you would have just been looking for another job. Exactly. And and honestly, the thing is with what we do, jobs are there. I live in a small town. So once they found out that I wasn't there anymore, all the competitors came. They were all promising me everything, but so did my original boss. So I was like, well, how do I trust you? And And it would take so long. And so I was like, well, we'll talk in six months if this doesn't work out. And 
it did. So we didn't talk, but I know that I, if I wanted to, I could have. And so anybody that's kind of like watching, I mean, you already have a skill that's totally needed. So what's the risk? Like you, you just don't have a job for a few months. Um, and then you'll probably get hired <laughs> very easily. Especially if you're not like, there's, there's one aspect of like the whole burning the boats type of thing. Like don't allow yourself a way to get back to that corporate job. And like, just, you know, that whole thing. I don't remember where that even comes from, but basically not giving yourself the choice to go back to the corporate job. But at the same time, our field is so needed. I'm mm -hmm. always seeing LinkedIn jobs come up for exactly the same position that I have held. So I know if I ever had to, I could, but at the same time, like, uh. Yeah, <laughs> no, want to. I mean, it's nice to have that. I mean, I guess the security It. I guess people think that they lose this security once they don't have that job anymore. And it was just such a big awakening when I was fired that I was like, Oh my God, you could do everything right. You could try too hard and then you could get fired. And then yeah, I was like, okay. So, yeah. And, and then I remember the day that it happened, I've never been fired before. And I was like, so do I stop getting paid today? Is that real? <laughs> I was like, is this it? I was like, I'm really not going to get another paycheck. And I was just so shocked when he did it. This was sad, but yeah, like when he did it, he tried to take it back. It was not take backable at that point. No. I think that it is a false sense of security, but, but the reality is there's another job. Like even if you took a 10% pay cut to the next one, like it would tie you over in, in worst case scenario, but I totally get that. If I tried to do a side hustle while working, um, I think it would be pretty tough. I don't think it was allowed. A lot of firms don't allow it, but there's ways to kind of get around it. If you're not offering the same service, like if you're in audit, they can't do the bookkeeping right. anyway. So yeah. you're okay to do that. I would not go after the same type of client though. Non-compete don't really hold up. How did you get so many clients or referrals? We'll be back after a quick break. This episode of the Ambitious Bookkeeper podcast is sponsored by my brand new free training, The Ultimate Guide to Creating a Profitable Bookkeeping Business. In just one hour, you will learn three keys to creating and launching a profitable bookkeeping business. We will map out your path to creating a bookkeeping or accounting business that keeps you in control of your time, priorities, and expertise. From someone who built a six-figure firm on part-time hours. That's right. You can stay in control of your time, keep family as your priority, and serve your clients well. It just takes a little strategy up front, and I'm going to help you with that during this free training. So head over to the show notes to sign up now for the next training and find out how you can choose the work you do, kick imposter syndrome to the curb, use tech to be super efficient, which all leads to a profitable business. Just head on over to ambitiousbookkeeper.com training. And I will see you there. So let's see. I always tell people this, but like, I don't want them to get discouraged. I, I got into um, a networking group, a closed networking group, maybe at a month and a half before I was no longer at that job. And so it really wasn't like I had been doing um, networking for so long, but I did have a little bit of a base. Like I was already getting some coffees, things like that. So once I found like a group that I really liked and were willing to help, um, I mean, they just put out feelers immediately, which was amazing. So I was just really lucky to know some people, but, um, I just want to say like, that can always be attainable from the, from today. If today's zero, you know, like getting in those groups. Yeah. Relationship building. Um, you know, it's a lot of coffee. Some are hit and miss some, you don't want to be at whatever, but like, I just got coffee after coffee and I was like, so here's what I'm trying to do. And here's my story. It was amazing how people kind of pulled together. And, um, so it just, it happened really quick. Awesome. And yeah. just to confirm, that's 30 tax clients that yes. you don't work with every month, but you do right. offer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's be clear about throughout that. the year tax planning, right? So right, right, right. Yeah. you are in contact with those clients throughout the year. It's not just all at year end, which is why you can charge such premium prices. <laughs> yes. It's a whole system that I have. It's funny because it kind of got thrown together and it just like really worked. The funny thing is they threw it together with just my gut. So I was like, well, I know I'm providing really great service compared to what I had been doing because volume isn't an issue anymore. I very narrowed down how many clients I work with, but yes, they're annual clients. They're not monthly. 30 monthly would be intense after, yeah, you know, in you couldn't do that on yeah, no. So 30 annual. And I have a system where basically they contact me throughout the year. I have a very intense high touch point 
model basically. So I charge premium to have a high contact relationship and, you know, lots of support throughout the year and really just more involved, but the books are a lot easier, you know, like the books are clean and all that kind of stuff. So I work with a lot of wonderful people like you where Mm -hmm. I can get really clean books. And so that relationship really comes in handy throughout the entire process because then they trust my bookkeeper referral and, you know, the bookkeeper and I can talk all the time. So having those relationships with the CPA. So when you find a CPA that you love working with, um, it, it can be amazing for the entire team. So, yeah, that's a good point. So that was kind of Candace's question, all taxes, or do you do bookkeeping? And that the answer is no, you outsource no, or you have I, a referral relationship with a book, uh, one bookkeeper or multiple. Oh, so many. So I thought about doing bookkeeping totally. Like I had the scarcity mode, just like everybody. When I first started and I was like, I guess I'll just do everything. I'll do payroll. Mm-hmm. And like, I just went and, but I've never, like, again, I came from Moss, which is a large national firm. So like, I didn't even know how to really even pull reports, you know, like everything I looked at was audited. So I didn't have a background in bookkeeping and I didn't really want, like at that point I was like, does it make sense for me to learn an entirely new skill where there is plenty of good people like yourselves um, to refer to, or do I want to do what I know? And for me, it, it, I tried a little bit, like a really tiny bit. And then I was like, you know what? Like I have plenty of people that I can refer to. If I can just build that good team, um, then, then like, I, I just wasn't worried at all about just making sure that the client was taken care of. Um, and it was multiple things for me too. doing the books. Um, there's benefits of doing both for sure. Like knowing what you're going to get at the end of the year is amazing. And so I just have like multiple relationships and I just make sure that I have just as close a relationship with my bookkeepers as I do with my clients. Um, because the bookkeepers usually for you, like the bookkeepers are usually like the person playing telephone back and forth. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of pressure. So I try to relieve that pressure too. That's awesome. I've seen so many, um, like in bookkeeping groups, I've seen so many bookkeepers, not pleased with the CPAs that their clients have. And like the communication is non-existent. They feel scared to ask them any questions, but they need to know certain things so they can book them correctly so that it's easier on the CPA at the end. So So much can get cleared up with regular communication throughout the year. Um, A lot of my clients, if they do, you know, monthly financials, Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, just like have the bookkeeper CC me. And I, if I have a minute, I can glance at them. I mean, it doesn't take long to look at a balance sheet and be like, wow, that looks crazy. Like what happened? You know? So I just try to do that when I can. And then I guess the other pieces they do year in planning. So I, I dive in before the end of the year. So it's important that all those things are in order and you have kind of seen it throughout the year. What do you do when it's not tax season? What is your niche? My niche is creatives. I work with photographers, videographers, anybody kind of in the marketing realm, but a lot of people that basically are creators. So, so it's funny because it's kind of expanded. I, I do work with the traditional artists, but at the same time, I also work with people that are kind of unique to their industry, kind of like me. I mean, of course we attract ourselves, right? So like I ultimately ended up attracting a lot of people about maybe they were lawyers, but then they're just like, so completely unique totally not your regular lawyer. And so like, I attract that all the time because I feel like I try to do that in our industry. And so creative has gotten kind of broad to be quite honest, generally service providers though. Um, and so somebody like, yeah, usually a mover and shaker in their industry that's doing something a little bit different. If they have a cookie cutter business, I'm just not so interested. And then when it's not tax season, it's a great question. So Um, I also, the other reason why I don't like bookkeeping is because I like how seasonal taxes are. Mm -hmm. So, because I, I'm just like, I'm so it's been 10 years. So I'm like, okay, I'm used to doing the hustle and then getting kind of a breather that never happened when I was an employee. But with me, I do fully take a lot of time off. So I work full time only six months a year. And Mm. so, um, so like around this time I'm working about 30 hours a week or so, and I'm doing year and planning. And then in tax season, I actually never go over 40, which is insane, like insane for a, for a CPA in tax season. But, um, even with the CARES Act, I didn't go over 40 this last year. So I try to work about six months of the year outside of that. It's about like eight hours a week. And so what I don't do, so the goal this year without quarantine was I was going to get a serious hobby. I was like, I'm going to really like, I have never had a hobby. I worked so Mm -hmm. much. And all I ever did was, was, um, was work and think about work. And so like, I was like, I'm going to get a hobby. Um, 
This year was different than I expected. <laughs> I have a baby niece. I watch her two days a week. My grandma, who's 91, is living with me temporarily. So I'm a full-time caregiver for her too. And my husband, actually, I retired him. We ended up, um, he was working as well. And then um, he quit his job earlier this year. And now he's a stay-at-home dad, which is really fun. Now he's actually probably going to be helping me a little bit in my business, which is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the plan outside of COVID is I want to travel. So I travel at, at a minimum of three months a year. Um, and so like that didn't happen this year, but I, I try to take at least three to four months off and work very minimally. And so you can only imagine what I fill my time with. Um, lately, I've been really focused on my accountants of color group, which I posted in here before. So I've been mm-hmm. super pumped about that. And that is oh, definitely that my hobby? biggest passion. Yeah, <laughs> my hobby is another work project. Yeah. Um, That's kind of sure. how I am. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I was a little bit bored with being a stay-at-home mom. So I was like, I'll just make building a business my hobby. <laughs> yeah, why not? It's just so fun. How do you find local networking groups? So do you have a like national one that you do or do you find local ones? So I guess I'll be real with, I mean, I'm just always real, but basically there was a group that I was in that is like worldwide. It's called BNI. So yep. it's pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Um, So that's what I was in and it really did grow my business very quickly. But I also personally have... So I'm very active in social justice and I just, I don't have the best feeling about BNI anymore and where they stand. However, it was effective. So I roll. Like, I I guess. (laughs) About BNI too. Like if you are going to go that route with BNI, you have to be very committed. You have to go to the weekly meetings. You have to give referrals, which can get kind of tricky if you really do want to niche, especially in the online space, because it's very local businessy. Right. Lots of trades. Yeah. So, so fortunately mine was a 10 AM meeting, which is unheard of, which meant that none of the trades were there. And so it was all, it was all like creative. So the nice part was, is like, I got tons of clients and it was just people that were just more laid back, less of the traditional nine to five. Cause they usually are like seven in the morning so that you can yeah. get to your job or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um, so mine was great. I still am really close friends with so many of them, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a fine start. It costs money. Um, it is closed, but yeah, like, um, finding local ones, it, there is going to be a Facebook group for anybody in your town. That's going to be like, let's form a business group. Like there's so many in Vancouver and Portland, you could search for groups you that do. Start if you there's can start if one. In a small community, you can start one and curate it to the type of people that you want in it. In the community that I just moved out of, I was out, I was outside of San Diego um, in Ramona, and we had a ladies who lunch networking group. So yeah. every month we met up for lunch at one of the local restaurants. We did like a raffle. Um, if you wanted to get up and talk about your business, you could contribute something to the raffle. And it was, it was just a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So like, I encourage people, like if there isn't one that you like, or like the people at it are not like your type, start one. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And there's a lot of ones online too, that, I mean, especially now in COVID, there's going to be so many that I think are really good. Um, like, yes, it's, there's probably a lot of noise in them but there are still meetups and stuff. One um, is that's really popular where I'm from is mob um, mom owned businesses. And yeah, so it's actually pretty big and they have meetups and I think it costs like, I don't know, 10 bucks or something for the meetup, but usually there's somebody teaching something. And then um, there's somebody like, um, like somebody will teach something and then there's, yeah, like mic time and then like breakout rooms and things like that. But like, that there's so many, um, I'm a lot, I'm a, I'm a part of a lot of like, um, persons of color one. There's a lot of like, there's a, um, Asian Pacific Islander one around here, but yeah, it's all online. So it's actually national, which is good and bad. But if you're bookkeepers, I mean, geez, yeah, we can work with anyone, um, all over the U S. So if you're willing to do that and open to it, then I would not focus on only local, um, yeah. Unless you're like all about desktop or something. Any local clients. I think a lot of my students are kind of the same where we want the flexibility. It's almost easier if you say no to local clients because then they won't ever expect you to come in, especially those more established brick and mortar businesses that are used to having like a bookkeeper actually come into their office. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I I did that when I worked at a CPA firm, I would go out and visit all the clients and reconcile their bank accounts. And uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. 
that. It's a lot. Yeah. I, I don't go out physically. Like, so before quarantine, like last year, I would go out and, um, and visit like clients and stuff at their businesses and brick and mortars. Like a lot of mine are actually local. Like that's just what happened probably because I started with BNI and then like slowly grew from there. Um, but so a lot of mine are local, but now that I'm only doing virtual appointments, they could be anywhere. The only thing that people with tax want to consider is that, yeah, states have their own tax requirements. So if you are dealing with, you know, like if you open up to the entire country, then yeah, you will have to learn tax, the little tax things about every single state. And yeah. so I generally focus on like, because of where I am, I focus on the West coast, but I do have people on the East coast and, you know, it's not so hard to figure out, but yeah, some, that's the, the only thing that I would add about considering that if you're a tax person. Yeah. Um, and yeah. if you are a CPA and a tax person, you can join the tax section of the AICPA and they have a lot of resource there. They give you like a whole spreadsheet of every state's like main tax laws and sales tax stuff. So that's a little, little yeah. nugget for you. Yeah. Um, join the AICPA if you are a CPA. I don't know if you can join if you're just a tax preparer or not, but I'm sure there's a tax preparer network that's similar that offers the same resources. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So yeah, make it easier on yourself if you do decide to do that. Open yourself up nationally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always said when I first started, honestly, not thinking anything through because nothing was really that thought through is I said, well, I'm going to focus on local. So I always said local um, and I made a big I just made a big thing about my marketing about that. Now I don't feel that way anymore, but that's just how it was initially. And um, I mean, for tax purposes, it did make things simpler. Um, but even if you did go out there, you could still say, like, even if I went to a national meetup, I would still say Oregon clients. And I mean, why not? I mean, yeah. people, there's going to be people from Oregon yeah. in that in that group. So Absolutely. Um, yeah. Awesome. And then I want to add tax services to my bookkeeping business, but I've never done it before. And I'm not a CPA, but I bought a full intense course that I'm taking now to be able to prepare taxes. How many clients do you think I can take this first year? So I'm not overwhelmed, but able to have enough practice and experience. Oh, that's a good question. Are you able to just do the taxes for some of your bookkeeping clients? Cause that would be the most ideal. Yeah. I don't, they probably already are set up, but like that would be the perfect transition in my opinion, because you already know their books, you already know everything that's going on. Um, and then slowly moving from there, but getting someone brand new, um, I guess if you brand new and you do their bookkeeping and tax, I would, for me, I would personally, if I'm going to do anybody's taxes and I was a bookkeeper, I would require to do their bookkeeping. Um, if that's also your bread and butter. And then how many clients do I think you can take your first year so you're not overwhelmed? So I'm a cautious person, although it doesn't really seem like it at all while I'm saying that. But um, I I was really serious about capping. So, so I said like 35 to 65 clients my first season, but you have to remember, I'm used to working on like 300 a, a season. So that was really limiting myself. That sounds really like, um, that was really like dialing it back. But um, if it's your first season, like um, if your finances can handle it, like, I mean, maybe try something on average of like one or two a week. I really wouldn't go any more than that. If you already have bookkeeping, because you're already going to be overwhelmed in January, I'm assuming if you're a bookkeeper, and then you're also going to have to dive into um, taxes and there's just a big learning curve. So give yourself time um, and don't put too much pressure that this needs to be your main thing this year. So I, I guess I would say like one or two a week would be good if it was my very first season. And then if you're able to, um, this is something cool that I saw some people doing in other groups is that they basically um, are hiring reviewers, just the review portion. So they're still going to sign it, but they're, but basically they're just starting out and they just need that extra level of review because how else are they going to learn if it's, especially if you just learn from a course and, and so that you can just have someone come in and say, Hey, I'll just look this over for an hour. You can just pay me for an hour of my time. And I would budget that into your fee. And I would probably do that my first season. Um, that if that so was the case. Smart. That is yeah. so smart. So do you have advanced tax preparers in your other group that are willing to offer that service or is that? I don't know. Let's see. Oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to put it in there and see what people think. Um, yeah, that would be really awesome. Yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah. If, it's it's still you know. like your, it's like a white label, you know, like people, it's yeah. still your tax return. You're still going to sign it, but you get to have that second pair of eyes, which I think is 
probably the only downside of being a solopreneur, right? Like just not having that second pair of eyes. Um, I have a lot of colleagues that I run things by, but they're not looking at the actual forms. The other thing too, make sure you have a solid contract, get your attorney to draft a good contract. If you're going to do something like that, I would probably get someone to review. So it's not so much a matter of how many it's a matter of, do you have the process set up for you to feel confident about whatever you're going to deliver? Um, but I wouldn't do deciding whether you're going to do individual taxes versus business. Totally. Um, because individual taxes, it's a different ball game. And totally. Usually you can handle more volume depending on the complexity, but then you have to <laughs> make sure that you're getting the right clients and you're not getting in over your head on individual taxes too. So. Yeah, they're completely different. I mean, if you are doing business, then you will ultimately default to having to do some individual because most likely the business owner will it's either going to be on their personal return, the business itself, or you're going to have to do their personal return one way or the other. So I guess you do need some background um, on both. So yeah, but I guess like a natural progression, I would think for a bookkeeper would be to go over into business because you already know the financials. Like that's the hardest part is understanding it. And then it's, it's really just inputting it and being able to put a lens of like, where, where's the opportunities and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Does anything look weird, but you already have so many of those skills. So that's when I first started my business, I was kind of like you and I was like, maybe I'll just do everything. Cause I have my CPA license and people are going to la la la. Yeah. And so I did my first couple of clients. Um, I did some taxes in my first year and I absolutely hated it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now I, I work with a tax attorney that also can like represent people in front of the IRS. Yeah. And he's really knowledgeable and I, I just outsource everything pretty much to him. Um, and Noemi, I've outsourced some stuff to her too. She's in this group. Okay. So, um, yeah, that's, I just realized I didn't love it. It was a huge learning curve for me because I, my background isn't tax. I did like one tax season at a small firm like yeah. of my career and did mostly individuals and like a couple partnerships. Um, but it was so long ago that it, it really wasn't like having the right experience because everything's changed. (laughs) Yeah. Everything has totally changed. It's like me working in, like at one point I like was in desktop. I mean, it was exciting that I recorded journal entries. Like that was, that was like the bookkeeping that I, yeah. So I, I just wasn't, I mean, if you don't like doing it, don't do it. I mean, I I basically heard this one quote that I live by and it's like, okay, I'm going to screw it up. The last time I said it, I screwed it up. Let me think. So if, don't do 6,000 things. Let's see. Don't do a thousand things. Wait, (laughs) wait, don't do a thousand things six different ways. Do it's like the opposite. Basically do the same thing over and over and over instead of just trying to do, um, a thousand things, six different ways. Yeah. I don't know. Something like that. (laughs) I I probably agree with that sentiment. Yeah. Um, and I specialize and it it just like, it's like clockwork. It's so efficient. Like that's why I don't work outside of tax season. And so it's just like it, but if I, if I, you know, was really spread thin, I put it on a board. Do you want to see the board? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Cause I'm trying to put this together in my group, but basically, cause I'm, I'm working on a little thing, but I did a little chart here and I was like, Imagine like, so basically this is the number of services that you have. So as your number of services increases, the number of clients go down. So like, it's just like, so how many clients do you really want? It's like, you know, if you want 20 clients then yeah, like maybe give them really great service and charge them, you know, $10,000 a year. But, um, but for me, it was like, I want to charge, you know, I charge a lesser amount and I work with more and I have more clients, but working on 20 clients versus me now working on 150 is totally different. And there's a way to do lots of services, but you're going to limit, you have to let go of this other side of it, which is so many clients, you know, and, and probably low fees at that point. You, you can't have a certain client size. Um, you know, they're always going to have to need employees. They're always going to have to, you're basically going to be their step in like accountant. And so, um, so yeah, so that's just, it's a different type of client. It's a different size. The, the clients I serve don't need full-time accountants, you know, they, like they're at the point where they're like, okay, I'm thinking about getting a bookkeeper. Like that's my size of clients. So, um, and they're so, yeah. still willing to pay you premium prices for taxes, which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And that is because you have such a clockwork system when you go and you talk to a potential client or when they come to you rather, because yeah. you, right now you have a wait list, right? Mm-hmm. When you talk to a potential client, you are able to just 
tell them all the same thing. Basically, this is how I work with people. This is my process. And this is my fee because you have like, you just have the ability to do that. And when you can differentiate yourself like that, and you're so well put together on your process, it makes it easier for you to have the confidence to demand those prices and for them to see the value in it. So sure. I just finished reading Built to Sell. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> have you read it? No. Basically your business model is like case study for that. You know what really? I mean? Because it's such a clockwork thing. If you have like one service that is more like a product, yeah, um, it's repeatable and yeah. It's duplicatable. If you wanted to teach that process to another CPA and bring in another CPA to your business, you could double your business. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, repeatable. Yeah. Um, it's all about systems really. Yeah. yeah. Totally. So, um, okay. Thanks. I don't plan on doing it as my main business, but I realized I'm losing my own clients since I don't offer that. Oh, hey, oh. Marcella. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have some things that I could probably say about that. Do you feel like you're missing out on that revenue or are you actually losing the clients for the bookkeeping side of things because you also don't offer tax? Um, always That's the question. Her. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just asking her that question. Yeah. Um, this says interesting. And do you do packages or tailor to each one? I suspect Taylor. That's oh, what the question is, but okay. Um, <laughs> so as far as like, my fees, my fee structure and, and what it actually, it's really def default. Like everyone's pretty much at my base fee and I charge everyone a, a very similar amount. The only way that I increase is if they have multiple States or like, or like various complexities, like there, there will be wrenches sometimes thrown into this, but generally speaking, my clients are um, going to be solopreneurs. Maybe they have some employees, some, some subcontractors, things like that. Um, some of them either do their own bookkeeping, at least on QBO or something like that. Like they all have a system and, um, or they're ready to bring in someone quarterly or monthly. And they usually listen to me when I tell them it's time, which is great too, because I'll tell them, you know, at this point I'm going to have to outsource, like I I'll have to charge more because it's a mess or something like that. Right. Yeah. Cause that's like our biggest nightmare, um, is getting messy books. So, um, so yeah, so no, it's, it's actually a really basic fee structure that, um, everybody kind of defaults to. I, I have very few clients that are outside of this typical fee. And that's it's part really of why weird. you can duplicate. And that's why it's so clockwork because you don't have to put any thought into pricing somebody like you have that's your true. structure yeah. and you can just go into each discover. I'm sure that you tell them your fees on the discovery call and yeah. them, right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The process is, yeah. I, I was realizing that I've like, I, nobody really taught me how to do the sales call, but yeah, like my sales call call is also clockwork. It's a half hour. And, um, and it's the same every time I set the schedule, I set the tone and then, you know, I get all the pieces of information that I want. I definitely deliver. That's where they find my value. If I don't succeed in my discovery call, then like my job is to make sure that they understand my value in that call more than anything else rather than getting them to say yes, you know, like, because mm -hmm. most of the time, if people say no, because of my prices, they're still saying, I cannot wait to work with you once I can get to that point. And so that says everything where I'm just like, okay, I've conveyed my value. And, um, and I just to, just to be totally transparent, I am not any smarter than anybody else. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I, I'm just like, I'm not like, I'm not the smartest CPA in the world. I'm not the, you know, I am very, I'm probably pretty average. So it's like, the fact that it's all about relationships really um, is is like I can't drive that home enough. I'm like clients will never know how good you did on the on the pieces of paper. Like yeah, if you really screw up, they're gonna know. But like but like they're they're never gonna see that you know savings that you did unless you tell them. Unless you tell them this is what I do. This is the process I go through. This is how this is why it costs what it costs because I make sure to go the extra mile. Um, they're never gonna know because they don't know how to read those the, you know, the tax return or the books, the way that we need, yeah. especially bookkeepers. I say this all the time because clients ask me, they're just like, so what do you think of my bookkeeper? And, and I'll tell them, but most of it's just based on looking at the books and I'll it's say so things bad. like, like things that they overlook. I'm like, well, are they reaching out once a month? And I'm like, are they saying, you know, I was like, how quick are they to respond? Um, all those things they think are just either default or they're just not thinking that hard. And I was like, that's actually really hard to do as a bookkeeper. So, um, so I train the client 
to value me <laughs> and to value the bookkeeper and to know when they have a good person or not, you know? So it's part of training them to see your value. Um, but yeah, it, it is clockwork. And my, my spiel is actually pretty much the same every time. The thing that's different is, is when I'm learning about what they do in their business, I really focus and I really, um, you know, soak it in and I try to feel their, like understand their passion. Like I really, I'm a big relationship person. So I'm really trying to understand why they do what they do and how come they care about this so much and why did they start their business and what do they see for it coming in the future? So, um, yeah, like that call is, is everything. And then I just maintain the relationship after that. I also don't charge by the hour. That's another thing that everybody thinks I'm crazy for, but I, I let them have unlimited access to me and I don't charge by the hour. So, yeah, well, that's, that's all value pricing, right? Because you've yeah. already built your value in that discovery call. Your fees are high because obviously you only have 30 clients and you make six figures. So. Well, no, I don't currently, I have like more than oh, like okay. 150 now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My oh, average, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At the beginning. Yeah. That would be a lot. <laughs> no, yeah. my prices aren't actually, my prices aren't even more than like who I used to work for before. Yeah. Yeah. So. Big firms charge a lot for taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Not Moss. Moss would be like, yeah, Moss was definitely much higher, but I mean like my last small firm, um, our price range. So I basically, my, my clients on average are around a thousand to 2000. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Marcella says, I'm very curious about learning taxes because that will make me do the books better, help my clients with the tax strategies. So I thought if I'm going to invest time in learning this, I might as well offer tax returns. Not necessarily. If that's your only reason, I don't know if I would honestly go the route of doing the taxes. But yes, it is important to understand the basics so that you can facilitate that conversation with the CPA and charge more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Because you're going to be way more valuable than a bookkeeper that doesn't understand anything about taxes. Because a lot of them don't. Right. Um, yeah. And I'm not like, I'm not bashing, but there's ways to set yourself apart. And that's a conversation you have to have during your discovery call and be like, look, I understand taxes. I don't do them, but I can facilitate a conversation with your CPA where you don't have to be the middleman. And so that's why I charge what I charge. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. I wouldn't offer the service just because you want to do the bookkeeping better, I would probably meet with uh, like CPAs or do some studying yourself. I mean, sure, like do your own taxes and things like that. I mean, um, but there's so much information out there for you to be able to understand as a bookkeeper and then provide that value. But I can say a few things actually of what I love about bookkeepers, if it helps as a mm -hmm. CPA um, and to get, cause your main referrals are going to be, well, not your main referrals, but a good referral source is a CPA too, right? Like people yeah. always want to meet with me to get, so that when my clients are ready, I'm like, yeah, go to, go to this person. Um, but yeah, like the biggest thing for sure that I, if I was a bookkeeper and what I like to hear from as a CPA is like, if they're checking in once a month, if they're quick to reply and if they're going to book my journal entries and double check with me when they book them. And, um, and That's so like, cool. Honestly. Yeah, it's really simple and it's really hard it's to get it. I have a it, it doesn't get done by a lot of bookkeepers. I'm I have always a really like, hard time. Yeah. Um I've I'm in a bunch of programs and one of the girls I'm in a program with was like, um, because she was watching like some of the stuff that I put out for my bookkeepers to like increase their value. And one of them is literally just having a meeting with your client every month yeah. to talk about the numbers and to deliver the reports instead of just sending them the reports. And she's like I don't get that from my bookkeeper. Like she just does the stuff and then tells me when it's done. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> well, oh, some okay. of them don't even do that. Some of them don't even send the report. So there's that. And so like, I, yeah, like my favorite bookkeepers will meet with their client, like a 15 minute, like, Hey, this is how it works. This is what, you know, and all that stuff. And my other ones are going to be the ones that work really well with me knowing that I do year in planning. So the moment I'm like, Hey, I have a year in planning session with them in November you know, when are the books going to be ready? Do you have any questions? We need to clear them up now. Like, cause a lot of bookkeepers let discrepancies go for way too long, you know? And then I'm just like, okay, so we're talking about April. Great. You know? And so, um, yeah, like I feel like the little things to set yourself apart as a bookkeeper, I mean, they're pretty small. And I think if, if people just plaster them on their pages of like, this is what I do basic stuff, then like, 
um, I think it would be helpful because bookkeeping, just the term is thrown around all the time. So people are like, I have a bookkeeper and it's like nothing of what I would have expected. It's yeah. like, oh, you mean they categorize your expenses. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they do. They don't provide that, reports. Yeah. I think that's where this group like is totally set up for success and to be set apart because like I attract people from corporate that we all pretty much have an accounting background Mm -hmm. And that's my mission, right? To bring in people with an accounting background and elevate the bookkeeping profession. <laughs> like, yeah, overall. I love that. So, um, yeah. so yeah, it for us, like, it seems like super easy, simple tasks, but th that's where the value is. And that's where you can start charging more. Um, totally. Yeah. Just that small, I mean, just everything that gets thrown around a lot, which yeah, I honestly wasn't even charging for that kind of stuff um, at the beginning because it was just that's my nature to be that kind of person to answer the phone when my client calls and give them, yeah. should I buy or lease this car or should I like hire an employee? And I just talk through it with them. That is, those are advisory services. That oh I my goodness. Yeah. Free. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, I, I do that as well. I, I answer those kinds of questions all the time, you know, because they're built into my course that I do. Yeah. Like, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like value-based feeling. But I think that people definitely could set themselves apart and, and yeah, it's just kind of this unspoken thing and people don't know, like bookkeeping is so broad as to what it includes. And so I am, so having that said, I'm super explicit on what's included and what's not. I mean, it, it's even more important to say what's not included. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that. So yeah, like I, you know, I say like you have unlimited access to me, all that kind of stuff, but I do make it clear. I'm just like, if it's something that is a separate projection, if you're going to, if we're going to talk about like you purchasing another firm, like I am definitely going to charge for that and that and but I will always warn you before that ever comes what people yeah. don't like about you know anything about us or like anybody in, in the accounting industry is like surprise fees things like that but like I would say again I'm a good I'm a good CPA I'm good at what I do I I um but I also feel like there's so many professionals that are also just as good, just as smart. I mean, if not smarter, you know, even books, like way more book smart. This exams are super hard for me and um, <laughs> yeah, so hard. And so, um, but yeah, like, I think that even having all of that said, the biggest thing that I sell is peace of mind, like hands down, it's peace of mind. And I think that would be translatable to this group as well. I think that like, Absolutely. At the end of the day, my clients all just want to not stress out about this. And I know that I know that that's all that they really want. And they want to pay little, you know, as little taxes as possible. But I also let them know that that's my job and I have to worry about that. And so I think that eliminating surprises and making sure that they're taken care of. So like over communicating things like that. So simple yet. Um, and people just value that more than anything. Cause I could do the most perfect return in the world, but stress have not communicated a thing. They're stressed out super bad. And honestly, they're just not going to value me. I've done that. You know, I've done that where I've, I've spent so much time on a return, but I didn't communicate, you know, back at my other firm and yeah, like they didn't value me. And I was, I was stressed out. Cause I was like, well, I try so hard. What's the problem here. And really it's just about communication and relationships and, and just knowing that you're, you're actually selling peace of mind. You're really not like at the end of the day, it's numbers on a piece of paper. Right. So yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. One of my clients told me like, and this is stuff that when your clients tell you that like capture the exact words, like copy and paste them. We talked about this yesterday on our live about marketing but oh. um, one of my clients was was like your total sanity saver, and I was like, I'm gonna save that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. On my website. Yeah, <laughs> a sanity that. saver. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. So, just things like that. If your clients tell you things like that, like that's where your value is. And I'm literally just her bookkeeper. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but like numbers uh, every month though, in that meeting, like that's what, that's where the value is. And like, she didn't blink an eye at the price that I gave her because she's mm -hmm. like, I know you provide the value. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So she's like, I yeah. love being able to talk about this every month and you are letting me know that I'm doing things right. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. I guess like a good example is like, I'll look at past returns, right? Part of my job is to review whoever did my, the return before me. Mm -hmm. It looks fine. Like, I, I mean, part of them, part of it's just like, I'll even be honest. I'm like, honestly, like they, they got all the things that I would have asked for. Like, there's a couple of things, but we're talking about dollars and cents here. And so it's like, um, but, but what their biggest complaint is, and I always ask this in my discovery call is, well, actually I ask it in the inner, like I have a, 
like a Google form kind of thing right before they sign up to make sure that I hit like certain pressure, uh, not pressure points. Um, what is it called? Pain points. And so I always ask, so have you ever worked with the CPA and what did you like and not like? And that is like, they love to tell me all about that. And so, um, but the biggest thing is, yeah, like they could have done again, I would have given them the same exact product. What's different between us. It's because I gave them tons of peace of mind relationship. They always felt like they understood what was going on. And the fact that I'm getting clients now and I'm teaching them such, I don't want to say simple things because I don't want it to seem like they should have known them, but you know, like certain things where, um, they've owned a, owned a business for 10 years now, I would have thought they would have known how estimated taxes work or something like that. Right. But their, their CPA never explained it. And they were too scared to ask because it's intimidating. So then I was like, my job is to make it super comfortable so that I was like, you don't even want me to try to do your job. Like, don't even ask. Like, like I was like, just ask me whatever question you didn't go to school for this. I did. And I was like, I would never know my way around a camera. So don't ever feel like, uh, you know, it's scary to ask me. And so creating that safe space. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's one too. Like when yeah. clients, when you don't feel like a lot of CPAs, yeah. Like they, they have, first of all, a lot of CPAs charge hourly. So they're afraid to spend that time asking those questions because it doesn't really like, they're like, well, I'm not going to do it myself anyway. So why would I ask my question, the question and then get charged for an hour? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think part of it is that, and then maybe, um, I saw a post recently from another CPA kind of in our space that like does things the way that we do. And they were just, um, I think they had gone into a CPA firm that their family owned for them to do their taxes and, you know, like as a second pair of eyes. Mm -hmm. And I think it was, I don't remember who it was, but she said something about it being like, it was the worst experience ever. They made me feel dumb and I'm a CPA. Oh. <laughs> like it made my heart drop because yeah. I was thinking about like outsourcing my own taxes to an actual CPA now too. Cause I'm just like, I don't, yeah. I don't even like doing my own. And now we're getting into a point where like, we're trying to do retirement strategies and sure. buy real estate and stuff like that. And that is way over my head. So like, I'm going to have to hire a CPA <laughs> for yeah. all that to make sure we um, do everything right. I don't do my own bookkeeping. Does that make anybody else feel better? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't either. I, I yeah. have, and one of my team members does my bookkeeping and that's what, yep. like when she first started on, I'm like, this is your first job to catch up my books. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I hadn't. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Candace said, I wish we could be called something else. I think she's referring to like a bookkeeper. Then I would, depending on the estate that you're in, like I know Texas, you can't hold out as an accountant unless you have a CPA. But if you're not in a state where there's rules like that, I would by far set yourself apart by calling yourself an accountant yeah. or a consultant, a business consultant, because if you are providing that higher level service, that's what you are. Like mm -hmm. you're an advisor. Yeah. Or consultant or a CFO, um, call yourself whatever you CFO, want. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't have rules like that. So I would definitely go with accountant for sure. Yeah. I know. And... Texas, I think there's a couple states that do, um, that you just can't hold yourself out as an accountant unless you're a CPA, which is crazy. Cause I, wow. like, I know I am all about like, if you have an accounting degree, you're a freaking accountant. <laughs> yeah. That's odd. Yeah. I haven't heard that. Yeah. So consultant. Yeah. You could call it just kind of play around with words Consult and you could, good. yeah, you can call yourself whatever you want and then say that you provide bookkeeping services so that people understand what it is that you do. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I would do like contract CFO. That was like a big one because that is what you're doing. Like if you're helping make any decisions, like yeah. if you're making any decisions on like, um, like I always say it goes into CFO territory when you're, when they come to you to be like, okay, I'm about to take out this loan. What do you think? Like all that kind of stuff, like anything where you're dealing with the major um, decisions, then that's some CFO work. That's advisory. And yep. the other thing that I want to put in there too, that I also share with my group is that um, make sure that your insurance covers that because yep. once you go from bookkeeping to um, advisory, or if you call yourself a certain thing, it may actually trigger a different errors and emissions um, insurance. I ran into this the last time I renewed. 
Yeah. A virtual CFO. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a good point with the insurance for sure. I have insurance through the AICPA and Aon, so it's pretty encompassing. Good. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but yeah, check if you're not with like a specific insurance provider that is used to working with accounting and consulting. So if you want to talk about what that other project that you have going on. Sure. So gosh, it's been amazing. So the reason that me and Serena actually got connected was on Instagram because I was creating a course too on how to build a tax biz. Yeah. And then I was like, and so I was just starting, this is like when, you know, when we're like, okay, we're definitely quarantined for a long time. And I was like, I'm going to make a course. And, um, I started to, and then the death of George Floyd happened, um, May and I just was stopped in my tracks and I was like, I'm going to just focus hundred percent on black lives matter. So I basically stopped my course. Like I just felt zero endurance whatsoever. And I was just like, this is on pause. I, um, so I started giving free consulting to black business owners and black accountants. And then I realized how much I loved it. But what made me sad was at the end of the session as I'd be like, okay, bye. Like, tell me how it goes. Will you tell me what happens after this? And then I was like, I miss them. And so then I was like, um, and it's just so needed. And, and I just started realizing too, um, is the inequity that is in our industry, like CPAs, there's very few minorities of CPAs. It's very hard to pass them. There's a lot of barriers in our way and stuff like that. And so it was a, just a really big calling. And I was like, I've been wanting to make this group for the longest time, but I was too scared. I was really scared that there would be like pushback or backlash or whatever. And there has been some, but um, I just was really nervous that, um, you know, that I, I was the only one that felt like there was a need for this. And then there's just been so much interest. So I ended up creating this group called Accountants of Color. And it's anybody that's an, that identifies as an accountant and is a person of color. And um, and basically there's, oh, I'm at like 99, I think 99 members right now. I need to get that one person to make it a hundred. But <laughs> yeah, yeah so um, in the group yet, I know. And join her group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, join my group. And so it's called Accountants of Color. And um, basically it is a space where, you know, hopefully we can talk about different types of things. And, um, and you know, there has been just lots of different discussions where they're to support each other through our, um, any, you know, since we're marginalized groups and also just to help if we do have tax issues, if we want to talk about software. And then I decided to use all the content that I had previously started, started on for my course to just upload it for free. So I'm just uploading free course materials and units in my group. Um, and so, yeah, like down the road, like I put together some goals for us and a mission and vision, and, um, we just want more equity in our industry. And also like, Another thing was like, I want to do a scholarship program for people that want to, you know, for people of color that want to get their CPAs, but oh my gosh, the materials, it was like five grand when I was studying to get the materials. Yeah. And so my firm paid for it. I couldn't afford five grand. I pieced together different, um, different study material. And I ended up, I bought like the Wiley test bank. Um, for each section as I needed it. I didn't do it all up front. I know there was a discount if you did that, but I was like, I don't know how long it's going to take me to do this because I was a single mom and working. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I did, I only bought the sections that I needed when I was about to start studying for it. And then I used another 71s like study guides and flashcards, which were very affordable. And I still, I think they still are. Um, and I still follow him because like, that should change my life. Like that's yeah. what passed the exams. And so I think in wow. all, I really spent like a thousand dollars on studying. Oh my gosh. I can't yeah, believe I was, that. Like, I was poor, man. I couldn't. <laughs> I, the only reason, and I tell you, I would not have done it. I know I wouldn't have is because my firm, because Moss would pay for something like that. But the thing is, is most of the people that I went to, that I got hired with, actually all of them had already sat because they got to take the summer off before. And then, you know, and then be able to join in like the fall or whatever. So I couldn't, so I had to work while doing it. That's the only way I could get reimbursed, which was so hard with 80, 80 to 90 hours a week. Yeah. Um, like I didn't work that much. Yeah. I, like I, I, it was really hard. Yeah. yeah. It was super yeah. tough. And, yeah. um, 
but anyways, so, so it's hard. <laughs> and so, you know, with everything going on in the world and with how hard it is um, to even just get fair education, then I, I was like, well, I would love to do a scholarship of some sort. So if I do ever end up monetizing the course, I want to do a portion to that. I'd love to raise funds in different ways. I want a mentorship program. I have lots of dreams. So yeah, no, I'm like, I have all excited. the ideas and I just need <laughs> them now <laughs> <laughs> I have like I write like so much stuff on my board and stuff like that and I I'm trying to keep the group as excited and um and kind of in my brain it's kind of cool to see me like well I'm saying it's cool to see me that doesn't make any sense but like I mean like I think there's a value in sharing the journey as yeah. well right like like what you're doing like I think it's like hey I totally screwed this up I don't know how this works and so I mean like you know, hopefully people are enjoying that. I have no idea, but I think there's a huge value in sharing the journey. And that's yeah. like what I try to do with my students too. Like right now I'm in the mode of like scaling my firm so that I can sell it in a few years. And so mm -hmm. everyone who's in this group gets to see like the things that I'm going to encounter. I'm yeah. Yeah. But I've been sharing. Yeah. As much as I possibly can. Um, you know, I mean, I think it helped. I know that I would have loved hearing about that when I was starting a couple years ago. So yeah, I'm just like, well, it's fresh in my mind. I, so. too, I was like, there wasn't really like a resource for people like us who had the accounting mm -hmm. background already um, and wanted to build a business. And how do you translate like what you know from corporate and your strengths and all that stuff into your bookkeeping business? So I try to um, sprinkle all that in there. But um, but yeah, and then just having like the support system is huge. <laughs> Yeah. No boss anymore to ask anything to. Yeah. Um, it's all it's all on you. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, in. this is fun. You guys aren't in her group and you fit the category to join, then please join so that she can hit at least a hundred. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure she has like tons of fun stuff going on in there. Um, and then if you're not following Kelly on Instagram, is that where you're most active? Yeah, I would say so. Um, at Kelly Lou CPA. So K-E-L-I-L-O-O-C-P-A. Great. If you guys have any questions for Kelly, she's in the group and we'll see you guys soon. Bye. Ambitious.